everyone. This is the Manips and Sips podcast featuring uh, Dr. Brandon Cruz and uh, Dr. Jeremy Boyd. That's me. Today we're going to be talking about uh, cervicogenic headaches, kind of piggybacking off our last uh, discussion on uh, migraines. So we're going to just talk about how we kind of saw things initially, uh, where we are now, how we evaluate and treat them. Uh, before I get too much into it, let me pass off to my partner in crime. Hey, Brandon, how's it going? Going well. Thanks, Jer, for the introduction. Uh, let's see. Today's been a, you know, a busy day, just wrapping up some fellowship uh, paperwork, met with my mentor, Joe Byland, who's an awesome guy. Actually, I was talking to him uh, about getting him on this episode or on the show, I should say, at some point. He loved the idea that we're doing um, a nips and sip. So, and he's a drinker. You met him briefly at AMP this past year. So we'll work to get him on the, the 2020 year. Uh, so that's kind of most, most of my day has been, uh, been at, but, uh, how's your day been going? Good, good. Uh, yeah, definitely a goal for, uh, Nips and Sips 2020 is maybe get some more, uh, high level clinicians on the show. Um, uh, but yeah, for me today, uh, I didn't treat too much today, but we had a nice little, uh, business owners meeting for our, our local town at my office today. So we were busy organizing and going through that. So we got, bunch of people are checking out our new office so that was pretty fun and then uh yeah just doing errands so and now you know sipping some beer so can't beat that nice i didn't know you uh you hosted at your place that's awesome i actually just had the uh the opportunity to check that out this past weekend while i was down at your uh your office holiday party so uh love to see the new place it was it was great to see uh you're doing big things the place is gorgeous so congrats again Oh, thank you very much. Thank what you uh, what you sipping on? Are you still on the Advent? Are you, what is it like day sixteen now or something like that? I mean, yeah, I am. I am not gonna lie. I'm two days behind, so I'm I'm sure uh, our beer drinking following is gonna be a little bit mad at me. But I do get back late at night. Uh, sometimes ten o'clock, eleven o'clock at night. Uh, so sometimes I just want to get to bed. So um, you need to have that nightcap though. Yeah, I know, I know, I consider, it, but they're they're uh they're not like small beers. They're all like the uh no, like you drink six, the hefty ones. Yeah, they're all and they're all like sixteen ounces. Uh, so I'm like uh, or they're one pint each. I'm like, oh, so it does take a little little time and do like to enjoy my beer versus just put it down and go to bed. So, um, but uh, this one is uh this is for day seventeen uh, but it's a Schwartz. Tint day, so if anyone's been following along, wife got me a, you know, a Christmas Advent uh, beer style for German beers. Uh, this is the first stout. It's a collab stout, uh, which I don't think you know German beers. They're not really you know too known for their stout. So I was like super excited when I pulled this one out of there. Uh, really dish- delicious. Got that kind of coffee roast to it, but not quite as much as you taste in your American beers. Um, I'm drinking it out of my lunacy brewing, uh, cup, which is kind of funny cause, um, that's a brewery down here in South Jersey. Um, I forget exactly where, um, I think it's in about 20 minutes away from here, uh, maybe near Oakland, New Jersey. And they, I remember they had the best stouts. They had like three or four stouts and porters. So, which is pretty rare. Most breweries have a lot of IPAs, but they have a stout, a cherry stout, a classic peanut butter stout. So, 
really cool place if you really like lunas like stouts and stuff so um but uh what about you brandon well i have a, a couple couple upgrades here uh and i posted one on my business uh instagram the other day I'm, I'm, we're gonna have to put some of these uh start putting these on the uh the manips and sips page and so people can follow along what we're drinking and, and things like that but one of my former students jason he uh he got me a etched in whiskey glass um, oh, with oh. pursue pt uh with the logo on it so that was pretty awesome pretty badass. Uh, over the weekend when i saw you you got me a fancy glass bottle which is actually called uh decanter i did not know that at the time i just knew it was a fancy glass bottle that holds um, that holds whiskey. Well, any any liquor, but we're gonna obviously be put whiskey in there. So I'm drinking your Johnny Walker, 18 that you got me for my birthday a few years ago. So it might be Johnny Walker 20 at this point. <laughs> uh, so I, I have that, and I have the awesome decanter, and you, you know, it was a little thank you you gave to me, um, and it has uh, engraved in it the mentor. So I'm gonna have to take a picture of that and send send it to you so you can put up on the uh, Manips and Sips site um so everyone can follow along but uh two awesome gifts uh around the holiday season that i definitely wasn't expecting but uh you know grateful to have so that's what we're working with today definitely well deserved for those gifts uh you are you can see a big help to a lot of people so yeah enjoy those and cheers to you my friend cheers as well man all right let's uh let's get into the continuation of our last podcast which was uh for those of you who weren't listening i was focused on migraine headaches differential diagnosis uh how to really kind of tease out the difference and and then some interventions for for that and uh now we're going to go more into uh cervicogenic cervicogenic headaches uh and i guess some of the signs and symptoms associated and what are some things that we can do as uh, clinicians to better help our patients. Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, that's something that I definitely enjoy uh, treating in a lot of clients uh, for, I believe, I'll, probably most of the population has no idea that we can help out with headaches. And I would also say cervicogenics are probably missed a lot in in those diagnoses of headaches uh, they're either like chalked up to migraines or just tension headaches here's your you know excedrin and good luck and a lot of people are missing out on the on the fact that we can definitely modify and help and eliminate these headaches if we spend some time looking at the cervical and thoracic spine um, but yeah Ryan, uh, you want I know sometimes in our, I guess our previous discussions, uh, we kind of talk about maybe what we were previously doing for these type of headaches, um, or this type of diagnosis and kind of let it flow from there. Yeah, actually, that's a good thing. We haven't really talked about some of, you know, where we used to be, uh, you know, for, for those new members, actually, I was pretty lucky. Um, I didn't have too much clinical experience, of actually being licensed, um, you know, let's negate any internships and stuff. But um, where I, you know, I, I started the residency pretty early on. So luckily I was able to get on that right track and become efficient. But there were a few months prior to, and I think uh, sadly, like like most, um, and maybe I'm generalizing here, 
my my interventions, especially for patients like this, was uh, soft tissue massage, especially towards the you know neck paraspinals and the upper traps, um, giving that I guess instant relief or that palliative relief where you know it feels good. People at least feel good within the moment, or maybe even for you know an hour or a few hours later. But then there's no real, uh, I guess, real carryover between sessions and definitely long term within uh, within their symptoms. Uh, and then I guess you know for those few months, I probably just did some general parascapular strengthening, uh, maybe some DNF neck flexors uh, at minimum. Uh, with the blood pressure cuff that was taught in school, but nothing really beyond that. Uh, so I guess that's where I started out. How about you? I uh, yeah, I would definitely um, probably a similar boat. Uh, I think I was practicing for a little bit longer before I hopped right into the residency. I think I was practicing from let's see, uh, December to August, so almost yeah, six to eight months. Um, probably biggest thing is probably just blatantly missing out on this or kind of shrugging off headaches myself. Uh, that's not really something that we would do. If there were some people that are like referencing that they, they're probably, you know, I was very maybe initially some script dependent kind of physical therapist wasn't as much of a direct access physical therapist, um, especially my very, very first company, which wasn't the best, but um you know, if people reported like neck pain and we got a script for that, you know, the same sort of treatments uh, that you're you're kind of mentioning, the big OA release, uh, the occipital release, those sort of things were definitely my go tos. You know, soft tissue to the to those you know suboccipital muscles, upper trap, um, and then I was kind of kind of left with without things if they threw in any sort of headaches or thing i kind of brushed that off i didn't really go and attack the headaches um and you know i just you know a lot of a lot of the same similar stuff of like upper trap stretching and levator stretching hell to both you know both sides um where it wasn't like i was specific of like oh yeah you have a restriction on the left you know, we're going to go, you know, doing some stretches to the right. It was like both sides, you know, I'm just, you know, moving things around. Uh, so it's pretty um, shotgun approach, shotgunish. Um, but that was the limit of my interventions with the cervical or upper cervical spine was that was it. That was almost, you know, I always try and give everyone their unique programs, but I was unfortunately kind of restricted to a cookie cutter program um and that it was like those manual interventions i don't even think i did any like side glides or anything like that i don't even know if i did any like you know a lot of posterior anterior central posterior anterior mobilizations like the basics so yeah i knew joint play but i don't know if i i can't say i honestly recall myself doing that as a mobilization really um and yeah, it's uh, and probably probably clients didn't do so well. I can't recall anyone being like, "Wow, my headaches are gone as a result of that." That wasn't until after the residency, and once we learned those sort of things, and my bag of tricks and my ultimately my evaluative um, skills got a lot better. So, 
I'm sure some students still like that out there. Um, I felt like that's kind of some things I've seen with students is once they get to the cervical or especially the lumbar spine is their treatment intervention selection was pretty limited. Like it was like McKenzie for the low back and then soft tissue work for the cervical spine, a couple stretches, maybe some DNF and pray for the best. So that's kind of where I was in the beginning of my clinical career yeah i i think um and you know we graduated uh in 13 so i think that was really a, a time frame again i'm, I'm going to generalize here where a lot of schools um didn't teach or, or deep dive into the spine and and that really leaves uh you know new grads um i guess just at a loss for really how to treat it so they're really basing their treatment on on the clinical experience and, and, you know, if they got a, a good knowledgeable CI or not, um, or progressive, maybe even progressive as a, as a better term, you know, not trying to knock anybody here, but, uh, I, I find that the, the spine, especially the neck is often feared, uh, by clinicians in, in practice. So, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll give you some tidbits here on your evaluation and then some, you know, research that supports some, uh, some certain types of uh, interventions and, and, you know, people will be better for it. But yeah, I, I think your and I experience is, uh, is all, probably the norm at least coming out. Um, but it seems like some schools are, are a little bit more progressive now when they're beginning to change that, especially with the TAs coming in that are, you know, kind of like you and I and a little bit more progressive and seeing, you know, have been through a residency or a fellowship and now trying to implement that and pay it forward. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I'm constantly getting more and more jealous of the of the upcoming students and everything like that. But also, there's definitely a drive, um, you know, for these students to kind of continue their learning. So uh, they're getting more exposed to residencies and fellowships, especially at a younger, younger age. Yeah, um, yeah that uh, entrepreneurial spirit's back. Uh, with with this generation coming in, I think a lot of that uh, lends to the amount of debt that we have to take on and incur as uh, as PTs, and then we come out and we're like, how are we going to pay this off? You know, uh, couple that with just the the blessing of of social media and the fact that you can reach people across the world um, literally with a post. Uh, so, you know, combine some factors together and you're kind of getting a, a rejuvenation of, you know, people being hungrier and, and realizing that there's more out there than what's being taught, you know, because they're able to see clinicians like you and I posting and doing some more advanced and cool stuff. And, you know, rightfully so they're, they're going to want and demand to learn that stuff in school, uh, rather than, you know, what's going to help you pass the boards. Yeah, absolutely. And the way this week alone or two weeks we've had you know people from nepal and egypt reach out to us personally and it's just kind of it's it's an amazing thing this like social media to be able to you know show what you know obviously there's good and bads of it um you gotta be careful like what you're following you know you know what their intentions are they evidence-based or not but that's for a different discussion but truly amazing thing i'm glad to see that you know this entrepreneurial spirits back into it but before we regress yeah. and everything like that let's talk about uh, all right we talked about how kind of things were 
um, when we first kind of got into the field or when we were students and those sort of things when it comes to cervicogenic headaches, let's start diving into um, what we see, start going to our, I guess, our evaluation now, what has changed um, to really kind of tease in those cervicogenic headaches um, and, you know, take it from there. Uh, Brain, you want to get it going? Yeah, so uh, we'll go into, you know, difference diagnosis diagnosis and and what to really look for. I'm not going to really talk about migraines because we talked about them last time. So if uh, anyone is new, just refer to the last episode and and you get a deeper dive on on the migraines. But when it comes to cervicogenic headaches, uh, I mean, we're we're looking at, you know, historical factors and, and things of the nature what, what they subjectively report. And it's usually unilateral uh, headache or headache that's on one side of the head or, or above the eye on one side. Uh, it's typically aggravated by uh, neck movements or postures or lack thereof. Let's say someone is, uh, you know, sitting down all day, stuck in one position behind the computer, um, or maybe they're a construction worker looking up constantly, something like that. Uh, they're, gun- they're going to lack photophobia and phonophobia so sensitivity to light and and sound which would be classified as a migraine and and that lack of aura again um classified as as more of a migraine and and then some of the objective findings uh at least in the physical examination uh you're gonna have hypermobility that c0 c3 limited aa rotation when the neck is flexed so you have capital flexion and you're gonna have the limited aa motion uh, typically, these people are limited in cervical extension, uh, and there's a, impaired motor control and within that cranial cervical uh, flexion test, so their endurance won't be as long. I believe the normal value for that is about 38 to 41 seconds, and usually these people have well shy of that, about half, if not even less than that. So, I mean, th- that's the, the typical um, presentation. I'll, I'll deep dive into it a little bit, but Jerry, you have anything to add to that? Yeah, um, definitely. Those are the main main points. I think I remember also uh, a thing that's been mentioned in research and those sort of things or just in clinical presentations is, I guess, a classic ram horn headache. Uh, so if you kind of trace it like from the back of the head and kind of circle around as if you had a, a ram's horn. Yeah, yep. uh, on one side, that's a good way to remember things. I remember kind of having to beat that in my head for the OCS um, exam. So that's a big sort of thing. So kind of almost like a one-sided uh, ram horn that uh, that may help you kind of remember things. And so people will honestly trace it for you. They'll like, oh, it starts there, and that's one of those big things. It's like, yeah, when I, I'm having these killer headaches or that maybe they're coming in for a cervical issue and they're like, oh, I have these headaches and I swear it starts from my neck and just comes all the way up. That's, that's you know, that should send off some, you know, spidey senses or, you know, fireworks in your head that, oh, I definitely probably need to start checking out the upper cervical spine. Um, but uh, another thing to, to also, you, you mentioned hypomobility, of, you know, CO, C3, or those upper cervical spine, but also reproduction of simple symptoms to go in there, start with your CPA, UPAs. Um, and, you know, you may actually, actually elicit a headache with, you know, just some pressure at the upper cervical spine. 
Um, and that right there should kind of kind of tell you something. So I've had that in a couple handful of my examinations. Again, something that I missed when I was a student or uh, entry level PT was I don't think I really maybe barely touched you know the upper cervical spine with my CPA UPAs, but doing that you may kind of elicit those headaches, um, and that should kind of help you out with your your. I have to ask though, that Brandon. Um, in regards to that deep neck flexor endurance test, forty seconds is I right? Is what research supports? Yeah, yeah thirty-eight that, to forty-one is normal. Which, which I, I mean, how many? I mean, I don't know if the clinical world's that much different, but I'm like, if I'm really looking and being really like particular, making sure that SCM isn't like really firing up or anything like that. Um, I definitely see that the people with cervicogenic issues and some maybe whiplash associated disorders, those sort of things have, or they suck. Like they're, they're, you know, they can maybe last two to five seconds or can't even do it at all. But do you get many people that make it to the whole 40? I mean, I've had a handful, but there may be some compensatory sort of things from like the SCM. What about you? Oh yeah. The SCM is huge. And I think that's one of the things I do, uh, where I have them palpate themselves and I educate them, you know, to put their, their fingers, their, their index and their thumb, uh, at their, you know, in their neck by their SCMs. And, you know, I have them do it wrong. So they can feel those muscles pop out and bulge in. And I'm saying, you feel that. And it's like, yeah, we, we don't want that. Mm -hmm. Um, so you need to be able to sustain this without, uh, tell you the truth. I probably, I've never really gotten that far. Most people mm. get symptom reduction um, and are, are discharging before they get to it. They're, they're probably getting to, um, you know, 15, 20 seconds. Uh, and I'll also do the let the cervical, um, I guess, capital flexion uh, lift test as well, uh, where I integrate it there. And there's some other exercises that we can go into a little bit later. But it's actually going into a cervical genic uh, flexion test or cervical cranial cervical flexion test. They're supposed to do it at with a blood pressure cuff of uh, 20, 28 millimeters of mercury um, or at least work their way up to it as well. So, um, you know, let's say somebody can can control it at 18 millimeters of mercury or pressure. Can they be able to in- build up to applying that pressure without that compensation. So there's definitely layers to this exercise. Um, And I'm sure just like, you know, most things you you kind of um, modify it uh, based on each patient. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, Yeah. It's kind of, everybody's a little bit different to modify it. Um, To talk about just before we kind of dive into, into more things you mentioned, the AA, like, uh, cervical flexion rotation test um you know some good resources that we always kind of i mentioned physiopedia at times uh, but those that uh, physiopedia is a good job of like presenting the evidence and then um showing some videos that go with it but you're going to want to fully flex the client's neck um and then rotate the head left and right um if you kind of meet some resistance or pains provoked, or you see a loss of range of motion, you know, that's when we start to kind of think that there's potentially some um, AA uh, limitations in those upper cervical spine. But I figured I'd throw that out there for anybody who had no idea what we were talking about. Um, but from there, there, uh, 
Brandon. Um, now that we got some examination sort of things going on, uh, what are you doing once you kind of figure out, hey, this is some cervicogenic stuff um, for your clients? Yeah. So with that, I mean, it's cervicogenic. And like I said, a lot of it is, I guess, that mechanical, quote unquote, aspect. Um, and, you know, I've had really good success with just some manual therapy, a few sessions of manual therapy, uh, improve that mobility, accessory motion uh, of the those upper cervical uh, segments. Uh, I couple that with some of that neuromuscular re-education and may- maybe even nerve glide sometimes or, or, or some type of neuraxis uh, nerve gliding and educating the patient on how to, how to manage it themselves, maybe with some snags or nags and usually have pretty good success within a short period of time. I mean, uh, different than migraines, um, this one's going to have a more of a mechanical factor to it. Um, and they'll, they'll respond faster with some good joint based manual therapy. That's not to say there's some other factors. Maybe you have to educate them on, uh, sustained postures that they may be in at work, um, or maybe some bad habits and obviously just getting them more active if it's a sedentary patient. Mm-hmm. Uh, but kind of in a nutshell, this, pa- this, uh, population will respond to some quality manual therapy, mobilizations and manipulations in, in a very short period of time. Yeah, I I definitely I know we've talked about you know it's been debated about manual therapy and all those sort of things, but for this you know I I feel manual therapy is, is you know we don't home run hits you know they're they're tougher in your more chronic patients obviously, but um, really getting in there and mobilizing or manipulating that several has been huge for me in my clinical practice. Um, yeah, I started off with first doing some mobilizations, uh, then, you know, with, you know, working with you and you teaching and doing some more the manipulations. Uh, I was coming to a point where I was about to do, and I suck for not doing it, but I had almost like a case series built up of just doing upper cervical manipulations and resulting in elimination of symptoms of like three people over like, I want to say it was like two or three months. Um, and uh, again, a lot of just, you know, manipulating that area. Then always, you know, obviously with any of our techniques, you know, kind of instruct it, you know, what our manual therapy does is again, providing that window of opportunity. Symptoms are going to be reduced and those sort of things. Um, and now uh, you want to keep moving now that you got, we got some things going. So, um, yeah, it's been huge for me and with that. It was, uh, we should probably put up a video of some upper cervical manipulations. Um, but you know, right there. And then I've had some times where during some evals, people have a headache when they they come in and being able to reduce their headaches that they've had, especially some of these cervicogenic headaches can, um, be pretty long lasting and you can, you know, definitely modify them right there. And then, then you look like the greatest person in the world. Uh, so some cervicogenic headaches can go up to weeks. And that's something I always kind of discuss. Obviously it's few and far between to truly get, Oh wow. One quick manipulation, you're cured. Good luck. Um, 
but you can definitely modify things and instruct into the client of, listen, it's not just how many times you get the headache or how it's how intense the headache is, how long it lasts, uh, how many times you get it per week, you know, to start tracking these sort of things as we've been doing it. Cause more often than not, by the time you're seeing these people, they've had these headaches for months to years and those sort of things. And it's become part of their daily routine and, uh, have them track and understand it's like oh yeah i may be experiencing it just the same amount per times per week but instead of them being three hours in length it's after i'm done with working on the computer all day you know it's only 30 or minutes to an hour or it's less times per week or you know it's you know by the time after the first week it's now a seven out of ten seven nine out of ten pain so Having them understand these sort of things, um, it's it, it it can keep that buy-in going um, for all your clients. So, and then on top of what you're saying and everything like that is, you know, looking at everything. Um, you know, sometimes just you know working those deep neck flexors. I'll also start tapping into some scapular thoracic and those sort of things, uh, muscles. Also play around with some you know, just for a non-specific effect, doing some lower cervical or, you know, cervical thoracic techniques um, just to kind of shower that whole nervous system with all the good stuff and then, you know, get them going from there. Yeah, I want to uh, elaborate on what you said. You made some good points there that uh, these patients oftentimes are, are on the chronic side. Uh, and that may make things difficult, both on the evaluative side and the treatment side. Uh, so going back to the, the uh, evaluative side, um, a lot of these these patients, it, it's hard to really determine uh, against the or, or maybe if you're trying to differentiate diagnose between the other ones, because these headaches may be may start episodic and maybe, you know, once in a while. But as they become more chronic, they become more continuous uh, in nature over time. So that time frame changes. And I believe, you know, when we're talking about migraines, we're talking about duration may last four hours to, you know, three days, 72 hours. However, with cervicogenic headaches, those episodes may vary and that intensity may vary. Uh, and that's because, you know, where are you catching them in their, their pathology history of a, of a cervicogenic headache. So I think it's a good point. And then kind of diving into some of the research to support what you were saying. Uh, you know, when we look at some of the research by Joel, um, who I believe is uh, in Australia or New Zealand, who's pumped out uh, a lot of articles, especially in the um, early and mid 2000s, a lot of it, you know, when you're looking at outcomes was looking at headache intensity, headache duration, headache frequency, um, you know, don't ask your patient just how they're doing because they may just feel that they still have a headache and their expectation is that they no longer should have any symptoms. Um, while that's unrealistic, they don't know any better. So to break down exactly what you just said, is that intensity less? Is it from a, a nine out of 10 to it's uh, a five out of 10? Is that frequency less? Are they getting it, you know, where they're getting it five times a week and now they're getting it two times a week? Um, you know, is their headache only lasting, uh, you know, two hours versus, you know, six hours, something like that. I'm just throwing out some arbitrary numbers, 
but you know, I, I want to paint that picture because these are questions and, and things you need to outline for your patient because they don't know. Um, and, and like maybe some other things in the rehab industry, a patient who's had for, you know, years on end and they come in and they're like, how come this doesn't work? And they expect you, they, they expect to be better in one to two sessions. And if you're able to have this conversation, control the conversation, um, it goes a long way in creating that buy-in. Yeah, absolutely. And if you've been listening to us for a little bit, um, that buy-in is probably one of the most important things you can do. Um, Cause too often, especially in this nation is, you know, we're a quick fix nation. So if you're not making that impact, you know, or having them realize the problem, um, you know, being realistic with your expectations and those sort of things too often do people uh, bail out of therapy before if they just stuck with it, they could have, you know, actually got resolution symptoms before they start diving into um, more invasive interventions such as injections, epidurals, surgeries, opioids. And we have an opioid crisis in this country and those sort of things. So, you know, doing whatever you can to get that buy-in. Obviously not to the point where it's just like, yeah, I'm going to do lovey-dovey, you know, massage for 30 minutes, slap some heat on and give them some snacks afterwards. And I say that because I know clinics actually apparently do that. Uh, I think more closer to your neck of the woods there, Brandon, there's a a place that apparently that's their treatment protocol. Yes, that is. Yes, that keeps people in. But I, from knowing someone who is a student there, people don't get better. And that's, that's the real goal of therapy is, you know, you're getting people better, establishing a good therapeutic alliance, you gain that buy-in. And then with your expertise and skill, they will always remember you or consult you for any musculoskeletal issue. And I think that's what we should be moving towards as a profession is, you know, getting to a point where it's just like, yeah, I tweaked X, Y, Z. I'm just going to call my physical therapist. Uh, other countries do it. Uh, so we should probably be on it with, with our level of expertise and training. Yeah. When, uh, you know, there's a difference between, you know, taking into account patient values versus cu- customer service. So maybe that, that place, um, the gentleman has several offices, but has, um, <laughs> a good customer service model, the, the clinical side and patient expectations um, aren't there clinically. Um, I'm sure he's appeasing the customer expectations from a customer service and making them happy. Um, but, you know, with that, and, and you're talking about making a quick change or being able to make a quick change, and that's kind of why we do these podcasts because it goes down to, are you diagnosing it properly? Are you evaluating properly, diagnosing it properly? Because that's going to allow you to uh, utilize the most effective treatment plan. And uh, obviously you and me are, are very big supporters of manual therapy, but if anybody watches us, you know, uh, on, or takes our courses, watches this on social media, they can see we have the other side of it, you know, down pretty well too, where we're integrating, Uh, you know, exercise and neuromuscular education, but going back to our bias of manual therapy, I mean, manipulations, especially that's, what's going to create that quick buy-in and, and if applied correctly, 
creates that quick change to, to get that buy-in with patient. And I would say manual therapy, you know, mobilization manipulations, um, and probably dry needling are, are, the, are the top two up there to create that change. I mean, you could throw in nerve glides and things like that. But for all those uh, hands-off therapists or the exercise-only therapists, now if you go into, uh, you know, the physiology of exercises to truly get somebody to a stronger B improve their endurance or their motor control, you're looking at probably six, eight, 12 weeks to do that versus I could probably create a, uh, an effect in their appropriate patient within, within minutes and seconds. So, you know, not to, uh, not to bash any one paradigm, but really what it comes down to is a multimodal approach and having all the tools at disposal. And, and if you're, you know, going to, I guess, be advocate of uh, one theory or, or branch in, in the physical therapy realm, you're doing yourself and the, the patient service. Yeah, and that's the true beauty of this profession is that we have that ability to do all three. I think, I'm pretty sure it was Adrian Lowe. I can't remember if it was a course or time I saw him at CSM or something of that nature. Um, but he's like, we have, he even said himself, like, I'm pretty sure he said, uh, it was like, this is the most beautiful profession. We can educate, we can provide hands-on therapy, and we can exercise and get the people healthier. Um, so to fall into one, and I can say there's probably been periods for certain clients or certain phases of my ther of my of my life where I've like I became way too pain sciencey and would educate and talk to people for 45 minutes and like oh shit I got, I'm a physical therapist I gotta get them moving but then the session was too late and people are coming behind me um you know sometimes gone way too much into manual therapy or like again same thing shit i've been mobilizing working this person for 45 minutes uh didn't leave time for the other things and even same with exercise where it's like oh there's a couple people here i can teach three people exercise but i can only put my hands on one um you know i was doing a disservice to each individual at at those certain points of time so um you know, again, with what our practice act is like and how much time most physical therapists have with individuals, we can do all three of those. And more often than not, most clients need a component or piece of all three to get better faster. So, yeah, that's my my two cents in that. But Yeah, I love it. I mean, we can even elaborate on that. I mean, let's go to, we're going a little off uh, topic of the Mm. cervicogenic, but whatever. That's Um, a beer talking. Well, yeah, I'm I'm a glass number two here. Oh, God dang. So, but, you know, with that, we have the ability, and not only the ability, the time to do differential diagnosis, either on par with a physician or better. Um, Yes, we can't order imaging, or maybe some states can't order imaging, but it comes down to utilizing the research for red flag diagnoses. We, we have that ability. We have the ability to perform manual therapy or manipulations uh, equivalent or superior to osteopaths and uh, chiropractors, um, you know, depending on where you, uh, how you feel about that. Like you said, we can educate patients we can listen and do biopsych or cognitive control education that of 
probably a uh, a psychologist. I'm not calling a psychologist or, or or anything like that, but I'm sure a lot of us can agree. Sometimes we do more education and more listening to a patient's problems than actually physical rehabilitation, and we can do therex, um, you know, or exercises, you know, that of a, of a trainer. I mean, how many professions is that? Five right there. And I'm sure maybe we're missing one or two, um, you know, that we're talking about and, and not to, to get hung up on professions and, and scopes and stuff. But if you were to really just tease it out and break out what, um, you know, different uh, professions do, well, we kind of have, you know, the best of all worlds here if, if you utilize it correctly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then also for some, you know, we can do dry needling. Um, oh, so the acupuncture, there you go. I forgot that one. Yeah. So, and not to step on any toes or anything like that of those other professions. Uh, those other professions are amazing. Um, and they obviously have their expertise um, in, in their respective fields. And some of them blend into that. I know chiropractors that, you know, do similar things. And you, you can tell, though, because they're almost equally up or they are equally up to date on the evidence, uh, just that drive to continue to learn to deliver the best care to their, to their clients and those sort of things. So, uh, Jeremy, um, you're so nice and PC. I think we're better. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously <laughs> I'm a, when anybody I'll, I'll asks me, they're like, well, I think I always say this is the best profession in the world, but yeah. you know, but you know, just in case, you know, we have other, we're, we're the listeners. best conservative, uh, I guess treatment out there. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So without a doubt, um, I, I totally agree. Um, but yeah, just in case we have other listeners out there, but I've, I have a lot of good friends and they're pretty, they're pretty, pretty solid with what they do. Um, but yeah, I guess, um, I don't know if we have anything more to rant about. Um, yeah, well, not ranting, but just let's bring it back to the cervicogenic and, and a couple more other mm. pieces to include. Uh, I would say coordination. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think we we you know rely too much on that deep flexor strengthening cervical cranial um, or cranial cervical flexion test uh, yeah. as our go to when it comes to just you know that solves end all be all. Um, but just chin tuck them. <laughs> what, what's up? Just chin tuck them to yeah, death. Chin, chin yeah, chin tuck them. Then what? Death. Exactly. Then what? <laughs> Um, are we looking at the, the extensors? Are we looking mm-hmm. at coordination? Uh, how many people, you know, use a laser and, and have people track, you know, a pattern or a maze or, or uh, just include coordination uh, within that? Like you, you touched upon it earlier, doing some scapular motor uh, control exercises as well. Um, and maybe perhaps improving maybe a vestibular component that may be affecting um or habituation, maybe it's not a, a vestibular in terms of uh, a BPVV, but about uh, you know, patient needed some type of habituation uh, mm-hmm. for that area. So, I mean, there there are a lot of other factors to to make sure you include, and obviously, um, I guess evaluate. But things like joint repositioning error, and, and I know there's a, a group of fellows out there, three of them that created the laser tracker. Um, it's a laser you put on your head and it comes with a, a couple maps that you can have patients, uh, do various things with to improve that, uh, coordination. Um, and then you could also combine that with the uh, balance activities and things like that. So I just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah. Uh, I don't know for viewers out there, listeners out there, um, 
if you haven't done that, um, where you put the laser on top of the head, again, you can trace it. I guess uh, a simple way to do is sometimes put an X on the wall, um, turn the client's head with their eyes closed and see if they can make it back to the X. Um, It will blow your mind of how bad some of these clients are. They have no idea where midline is. It's fascinating. This one, uh, her name is Tiny. Uh, She wasn't really tiny. She was short, but she wasn't tiny. Awesome client. And she was so far off of even coming close to center. I literally said, I'm like, Tiny, are you, are you, are you fucking with me? She's a super cool client. Corrections officer for years. I wouldn't mess with her any day of the week. And she was like, no, this is literally after like five attempts of her coming nowhere near the X. I'm like, are you, are you messing with me? Uh, She's like, no, this is really me trying to find it. And she can tell that she was getting surprised at how bad she was. Um, And then that became part of our interventions is constantly trying to right the ship. And um, as that continued to get better, symptoms also continue to improve. But yeah, if you haven't heard of that, or this is all news to you, I'd say that's, you know, pretty rarely done in most clinics. It doesn't only apply to cervicogenic headaches. can apply to chronic neck pain or whiplash uh, associated disorders. Um, definitely, you know, look it up. And, uh, yeah, you'd be Concussions. Concussions as well, yes. Um, so definitely, you know, look that up. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, pretty fun. I mean, some people don't really like having a – laser i pre- i rigged mine this is before the those three fellows kind of had a whole system and a thing i had like get a flat brim hat and take a laser from shop right i mean it worked it just people people didn't really like it it was it was kind of yeah you're awful, good at rigging but, it um yeah. i mean it's still a little weird you know people i bring it out and people are still kind of looking at me but you know it, it gets the job done after they do it they, they see the buy-in but yeah i was actually thinking about buying just a laser and using like a a basketball headband sweatband to just keep it on their head until i found out about this right before i I bought it Um, i believe optp also has their variation of it uh i think they kind of stole the idea from uh from the three three fellows i was talking about but i I tried to support the uh the p and, and uh i bought it from from them good man good man well, um, I guess uh, anything else there? Any other nuggets of knowledge, words of wisdom on uh, cervicogenic headaches there, Bryn? No, uh, actually, I uh, went longer than I thought it was going to, but we got on some good topics, so we just kind of went with it. Um, I think while we're on the next stuff, the next few episodes will probably talk about some of those things, whiplash-associated disorders, um, concussions, and uh, some other neck pathologies uh, that we can uh, include in here, so... I'm looking forward to those uh, those talks. Yeah, we'll have a little next series. Uh, we seem to always go in themes here. So, yeah, so stay tuned, everyone. And, um, yeah, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, um, anything like that, need some mentorship, need to find someone or anything like that close to you, you know, we can certainly help you out with that. Uh, you can reach us at Manips and Sips on all social media. Um, or you can re- also reach us on our personal Brandon's at think like a fellow and at pursue PT. Now I'm at the decent doctor and at trifecta therapeutics. And, uh, yeah, thanks for listening in and, uh, cheers everyone. Well, um, um, before, uh, before we actually sign off, sorry, Jay, 
Oh, no, uh, we, we should we should include this in the beginning, and hopefully we we do. Uh, I just want to make some announcements that you know some things we're doing in, in 2020. So uh, for those of you who are interested, um, can come check us out. Uh, we have a whole new uh, core series coming out. I mean, we we still have our cervical, thoracic, lumbar, pelvic, and spinal manip courses, but we're unrolling a extremity, both upper and lower, uh, one day uh, manipulation course for you guys, as well as some uh, neurodynamic course. That we're going to be including and then our big one coming september uh, i believe it's that last weekend what's that 28th and 29th chair is that correct i believe um, so uh, we're we're gonna uh launch our first annual manips and sips uh i guess a little summit manips and sips summit summit uh, where it's going to be you know a friday evening of just networking obviously drinks will be this is a sips component uh will be there so everyone attending the conference we're gonna go uh have a bar set up where we go meet and mingle and network. Uh, try not to get too uh, too drunk on that one because the next day is going to be throwing hands where we do a day's worth of just manual therapy and evidence and kind of geek out that way. And the the third day, the Sunday is going to be a, a hybrid of leadership and, and business development uh, for you know all, all PTs, especially the new grads and and students and stuff. But obviously, uh, the more seasoned uh, vets are there, so we're looking to. Uh, you know, roll that out and have a, have a great turnout there. So I've been uh, telling some people about it. So I wanted to make an announcement on our podcast and we'll, we'll mention it each time. And we hope to see some, uh, some new faces there. Oh yeah. I can't wait for the Nips and Sips. I mean, this is something we've been thinking about for years. So going to be awesome. I think it's the best combination uh, a course can have. Um, but yeah, hopefully see you all there. All right, guys, I guess till next time, signing off here.